Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We're going to have some fun. Every so often, we get the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that really is going to be a combination of humor and looking at things from a fresh point of view. And you're going to find some of that today when we discuss how nerds do it better. That's right, nerds do it better. To guide us on this journey, we have Adam Lundquist, a man who I can relate to on a first name basis. So let me just tell you a little bit about Adam. He is a Harvard educated agency owner and former radio shock jock from Santa Barbara Radio. When Adam published one of his interviews on a newly formed platform called YouTube, Oh, I remember when YouTube was new. He became one of the first, it, rather, it became one of the first viral videos, and he became viral because of it, sparking his initial interest in the power of the internet as well as internet marketing. Adam has been featured on traditional in Search Engine Journal, PPC Hero, and WordStream, amongst others. His company, Nerds Do It Better, consistently delivers paid search campaigns utilizing advanced statistical analysis developed at Harvard. With this method, Adam and his team are able to remove inefficiencies in marketing and generate more customers on a consistent basis in a cost-effective way. Adam Lundquist, come on in. The weather's fine. Wow, that's quite an introduction. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Now, at this point in the, sh the show, as our listeners know that we probably have some folks who have opened a separate browser tab and they're starting to lean in a little bit. And they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles trying to discover this Adam Lundquist. That's spelled L-U-N-D-Q-U-I-S-T. You're welcome. And checking out his website, nerdsdoitbetter.com. And I shared a bit of Adam's credentials in reading off his very fine official bio, which is so impressive. I'm not sure I'm not worthy to be here and it's my own show. But what we'd like to do before we get into some of the many things that Adam's gonna share with us today is take a step back and let's get to know Adam the man a little bit. Adam, tell us a little bit about, aside from all your credentials and everything I shared already, a bit about your personal journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community market and audience. Sure. So um, I guess I grew up in Boston or a little town outside of Boston called Andover. Uh -huh. And uh, growing up, I always wanted to be on the radio. That was always my dream. Um, obviously I have this great radio voice, so <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it is, it was always my dream. And um, I got the opportunity to do when I was in Santa Barbara. And when I was there, I decided that um, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it the way that I wanted to do it, which for me was being uh, asking questions that other people wouldn't ask. Very 
well, in retrospect, kind of unprofessional, but kind of crazy <laughs> questions. And it did really well for us. It was around the time that uh, Ali G was really big and uh, Stuttering John was someone I always looked up to as well. Yep. And um, around that time, like it said, uh, YouTube was starting to get big. And I had an interview with someone named Sam Cassell, who's on, um, who's, who was on the Clippers at the time. I think he played for the Celtics too. Basketball player, um, kind of looks like an alien. And uh, they used to practice at the Santa Barbara uh, City College gym. And a lot of people did, like the Lakers practice up there sometimes. And uh, you just get a lot of um, celebrities up in Santa Barbara. So it was very easy for me to get them on the show. Sure. And I basically interviewed him and asked him a bunch of wacky questions. And I had my, um, my co-host record it on a, uh, like a cell phone camera, like one of the world's first cell phone cameras, essentially. Uh, I think it was like a razor. And I put it on YouTube and uh, it didn't really do too much actually at first, but I was 27-ish. And I was like, listen, I, I really cared. I wanted to be famous and I don't care about that now. But I did then. And I started learning how to promote things. And I would write to people and say, hey, do you want this on your blog? Because blogs were kind of big back then. Or, hey, do you want this here? And I started seeing how you could kind of talk to people and get them to see how something might be good for them that's also good for you. And then, yeah, like that video went on to, um, it was on like Best, Best Damn Sports Show. And it's Sports Illustrated's number seven viral video of all time and all that. And then... Um, well, I got, I got fired from the radio. They said that they paid us too much. Actually, on Friday the 13th, I got fired from the radio. Spooky. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved to um, Romania with my now wife. Um, and then we came back, and I didn't want to do radio anymore. I was in a place where I was doing radio. I was writing for a newspaper and um, teaching a course at a city college. So it was like all the jobs that were basically going away forever. And um, I went back to school. Yeah, I went to Harvard. And then I, um, I got a job at a startup, a fast-growing startup in San Diego. Uh, we actually became like the third fastest-growing startup. And I just loved the life. And then we moved to uh, Philadelphia from San Diego, started my own company. And I've uh, been here since. I live in London now. But um, it looks like very soon we'll be moving to Amsterdam within the quarter. Oh, well, good for you. And a couple observations here. First of all, you noted that uh, you had a passion for radio and the radio voice and all that. And as I like to say, God gave me a face for radio. Fortunately, he also gave me the voice, so at least he was consistent about that. And as far as doing things my own way, we've done something about the Business Creators Radio Show. We've been a little behind in getting bumper music like an intro and an outro put on the episodes is in about six years late and we run our episodes a little bit longer than some people do we also do them in audio format only even though i have access to a video recording platform and the reason for the latter is rooted in some of the character of business creators radio we have had people who have called in from the rainforest in Colombia where they could not get a decent enough internet signal to support video. And we also had somebody call in from on top of an airport hangar in Tel Aviv and we could hear the airplanes right over him while we're having the interview. 
these make for more interesting stories. I don't have a, a special recording studio with a $9,000 trillion microphone set up and foam padding on the walls or anything like that. I can do these episodes from pretty much anywhere. And that's part of the character of our show is it has a bit of a from the field feeling to it. And it allows for us to have some of the more interesting stories. Plus, we always run our episodes in the morning and this is one of those cases where I woke up about four minutes before it was time to do the episode. I haven't even fixed my hair much. Let's put on a nice shirt and I don't want to. So I want to have the character where somebody who is listening to business creators radio feels that they are a fly on the wall, sort of listening to a one-on-one mastermind where you have one thought leader interviewing another and just having a conversation going back and forth bouncing ideas off each other and that's one of the things that our listeners have told us they really appreciate about our format so yes our guests do pre-submit the questions or their agents do if they're being referred by an agency and we typically get all that information in but it's not a strict question and answer format where people are like uh, under the gun with somebody tapping on a watch that gets to spit the answer out quickly so we can do yet another formulaic interview but we do shine the spotlight as need be and adam what's interesting about you is you're coming to us with the nerds do it better approach and i love that title by the way and we're want us to sort of walk through a number of different aspects of business and marketing to get your unique take on it. So are you ready? Yeah. I mean, I think that that'll be the most valuable thing for the audience. I mean, something that I've definitely learned from doing all this stuff is that, you know, it's not really all about me. It is all about your audience. If I just babble on about me and how I like, you know, whatever thin crust pizza, yeah. no one's going to care. So yeah, hit me up with whatever you got. Well, thick crust is the way to go, so I don't want to start that battle this early in the morning. But uh, <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. I have, I, I have, I have no quarrel with people who like their thin crust. It's no problem. Uh, my first question, Ashley, is where we came up with the title "Nerds Do It Better." Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I guess I would say that that came from. Well, I just, I just kind of thought of it one day. And then I bought the URL. Um, but really, it's just kind of a concept I have of using data in a different way than, um, I guess, in a different way than other people do. So a lot of this comes back to, you ever read that book Moneyball about the Oakland Athletics? Yeah, I've seen a movie. Yep. Yeah, also a movie for sure. Yeah. Um, and the idea was that they looked at data differently. So they, um, like, they didn't really care so much about batting average, but they cared about on-base percentage because that's how often you get on base. That's where your runs come from. So I try to look at data in terms of a business sense rather than just a, um, an online sense. And what we do is we run online campaigns for ages, uh, people, or businesses really. Um, and they, so instead of saying, hey, I can get you a million clicks because no one really cares about that. You can't really pay the rent in clicks. I try to go steps further and see, hey, do these clicks turn into leads? Are they qualified leads? Where do they, um, what is it the offer that makes the leads become, um, what is it that makes them qualified? And you go all the way down, and when you actually look at the data and analyze it in different ways, then you can find ways to make things much more profitable at a much cheaper investment. Yeah, and just like with my new media agency, In Demand Expert, we tell folks that if you're looking at podcasts, downloads, and listens, 
as the primary governor of the value of a show or the value of your own show, you're kind of missing the point. Uh, there are other things that are either worth tracking or worth caring about. And I've told this story a number of times. I know you have some stuff to share, so I won't belabor it, of we had an agency who used to refer folks to us said fill out our application form just like adam your agency filled out the form on your behalf uh, we looked the person over uh, i said yes let's have him on the show and then their agency rep would say well so and so uh, you have to understand they're they're really busy and they need to only be engaging in high value activities so we need you to send us your download and listener statistics so we can determine if your show has enough range for us now, bear in mind, this is after they had already filled out the application, and they did this every single time. And my answer in every case was, it's none of your damn business, because if that's what somebody was looking for on my show, I frankly didn't want them, because they weren't going to view it from the perspective of what we do here at Business Creators Radio. And I know that I have made hundreds of thousands of dollars through the personal connections that I've made with guests, and I've made tens and thousands on hundreds of thousands more just through people hearing me on a show somewhere and not even remembering where they heard me. I've had guests do business with listeners and vice versa. It's, it, that's what we're really in it for. So that's how we do things a little bit differently here. Now, in your experience, Adam, how does a business owner effectively acquire new clients online? Yeah, so the best thing to think about is how you would do it in real life. So if someone came to your store, would you just say, hey, buy now? Probably not. No. You'd probably be like, hey, um, can I help you? Might be a really good place to start. Yeah. What are you looking for? And it's kind of a similar thing with online. So I have um, a lot of clients, and what they're really going for is to either give a demo or to get a sales call is really what their end goal is or what I would call their core offer. But to get there, you usually have to take a step back and give something to warm people up. So sometimes it's an ebook. Um, sometimes it's a quiz. I've been finding interactive things are much more interesting. So, and that's just yeah. both from a data standpoint and just like, you know, think about it. Would you rather have an ebook that's like 10 things that are bad about your business or a quiz that's like, hey, fill this out and we'll tell you what's wrong with your business. I mean, you know, obviously phrase better than that. Yeah. But the general idea for that works really well. And then you move them along. Um, you know, it's just, it's just like marketing. The thing about the internet that I think people don't really get is it's still the real world. Like you still have to go towards profit-based goals and you can't just like say, all right, well, we got a million downloads. Okay, cool. But what are you going to do with them? Um, you know, we got a million emails. All right. Well, that's great. So some of the things that I think are very helpful are um, to not get too in the weeds here, but that this will help your audience if they do this at all. If they use Google AdWords, one of the best things to do is to go in and see what your actual search queries are because there's a difference between a keyword and a search query. A keyword is what you tell Google you want to show for. So maybe you put in podcast. The query is what someone actually puts in. So maybe they put in, I want to stop listening to podcasts. Well, that's probably yeah. not what you want to pay for. Um, so that's something that I always recommend people do, and it's free to look at, and it's easy to uh, do. And then the other thing that I think you always want to be thinking about a business is quality, because quantity is nice, but quality, as you were saying, is essentially much more important, because if people can't afford your business, then 
you know, you can't bleed a rock. I think that's the expression. Right. I think that, I think that's very true. And one thing I like to point out very quickly here is when people use search engines, sometimes what they do is they will literally type out the question that they're asking. For example, how do I get booked on podcasts? How do I run a, how do I run a Google AdWord? Where, what is the best pet food for my cat? They'll query search engines, Google, Bing, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, whichever one you're using, in exactly that way. So if I were looking at this from a search engine marketing perspective, I might put up a blog post called, how do you, how do you run a Google AdWord? Or I might put a page on my website if I was doing this type of business. Uh, like if I was selling pet food, I would say, what is the best wet food for your cat? Now, I might not be recommending a brand. It might be about things to consider when picking a wet food. But I would be aware that my searchers, and I can find this through analytical data, some of the search queries are using, um, I would actually put up a page with the title being that question. So again, going back to what Adam is saying, Adam Lundquist is saying, of course, using that type of intelligence, how would you actually interact with somebody who walked into your store? So now that we have established some of that, here's another fairly broad question. I'm going to give you the space to answer it. How can business owners leverage conversion momentum to draw users to their sales calls. And I also want to ask you, Adam, if by sales calls, you also mean, air quotes, free consults. Yeah, I do mean that. So the sales calls, the demos, whatever you want to call it, it's getting people okay. on the phone. So what I found, and this is pretty much true across the board, is that people don't like filling out a form and then waiting for a call, right? Do you? Uh don't like filling out a form waiting for a call. Let me let me break that down since you're asking me. I like, and I, I do not like phone tag. I do not like email tag. And if somebody says, hey, when can we, can you let me know when you're available? I tell them, I just give them my scheduler. Uh, so I don't like filling out a form and then waiting in suspense to see if there's going to be a phone call. I do like going to somebody's schedule and just typing in the time and clicking confirm. So if we can merge those two processes, that's okay. But if I'm just filling out a form, waiting for an undetermined asymmetrical result, uh, I'm not down for it. Yeah, exactly. And like a lot of people aren't, it's just, you don't want to, you don't want to fill out a form, not know what's going to happen. And then usually if you have a high enough volume, people kind of forget, like, you know, you fill out a form online and you're like, Oh, I don't remember doing that. So the best things that I've found are one to always go for phone calls. If you can inbound phone calls, cause that's right. when the person's at the hottest. So I have a lot of lawyers as clients yeah. and they much, much, much prefer to get a phone call, which makes sense. Cause they can just answer it. Then talk to the person. I Another found thing, that. Yeah. You've been calling a lot of lawyers. Well, I um, mean, I, I found, I found in my interaction with attorney clients, um, that, uh, and again, this is not an indictment. It actually, it's actually based on what you shared, Adam, is that, uh, we, if we had a client, a prospect, um, and we were trying to schedule them to have a conversation with us, their usual response to our scheduler would be, just give me a call. Exactly. Yeah. And then a good medium 
route around that that I've been finding a lot of success with is using chats and chat bots because it's kind of the same thing, except you can do it at scale. So this uh-huh. doesn't necessarily make sense for the lawyers. And there are, I probably wouldn't even use it with lawyers because of legal implications, but I would use it with a lot of my other clients where that's not an issue with, you know, HIPAA or lawyers or anything like that, because the person's right there, they have questions and you can just answer them. And really a question is just an objection. Uh, right. Typically it's like, Hey, will this work for me? Uh, how much is it is always going to be a question. So I find that clarity usually leads to profit and using these kind of things that can give instant clarity are going to be much, much, much more profitable. And also if you just have a form, you're just leaving the scariest things. Like honestly, no one really wants to give their name, email, and certainly they don't want to give their phone number. Right. It's just so much easier for someone to either fill out a form or a good technique I learned um, actually from this guy at Client Boost is to use the least scary question first, like what you might use to qualify someone. So you might say, hey, uh, as an example, I have a long distance medical transportation company. We say, hey, where are you looking to go from? You know, and then where are you looking to go to? So instead yeah. of just saying, hey, what's your email and phone number? And we'll get back to you at some point, possibly. Right, right. I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense and it brings up a very important point. Uh, the way I phrase it is um, asymmetrical results from filling out a form just aren't really all that exciting. Uh, I mean, I, you know, don't keep me in suspense here. What's going on? So when I, and I, and I've actually counseled clients away from the approach of uh, have them having people apply to have a strategy sessions. So first you have to go through this application. I mean, if there's certain people you want to screen out, then you set up a form so that it has conditional logic and you ask qualifying slash disqualifying questions. So if you only want to speak with people who report a net income of over $250,000 a year, ask that question. And if they report under $250,000 a year, have the conditional logic dictated the form results tell them sorry we don't think you're the best fit or whatever yeah don't keep them in suspense just let them move on exactly exactly that's definitely the way to do it yeah so as our listeners as you can see we are looking at data with a different approach than some other folks might have done it in your view up until now and i think you're starting to see what's going on with all that so adam uh in your nerds do it better experience, what are some ways that you have used online marketing to achieve tangible business results? I think the best way to do it is to, again, look at it from the profit standpoint. So we really like to get real granular with the data yeah, and really use uh, what's called keyword level data and, um, sorry, search query level data, yeah. like I was talking about. So if you can do that, you can make very specific pages that people go to based on the words that they type in. And so as an example with the lawyers, um, because I have a bunch of California, there's a different law with DUIs. There's wet and reckless and there's DUIs. So you can put in a DUI lawyer, get an ad that says DUI lawyer and go to a page that says DUI lawyer. Or you can put an ad that says wet and reckless, have a search that says wet and reckless and then have a... um, landing page that says wet and reckless, which is the page that they go to after they click the ad. By getting granular, you can also see what it is that's profitable. So for lawyers, contested divorce is much more expensive or much more profitable than uncontested divorce, which is 
pretty obvious, I suppose. Um, and then you can also go further and take a step further and actually do things like um, test the or see the length of phone calls. So you can see, all right, well, this keyword produced a phone call that was whatever, 10 minutes long, whereas this one produced phone calls that are 40 minutes long. So I don't listen in on the phone calls for a variety of reasons, mainly because I don't have time to do that. But I definitely like to look at what are the length of calls. So if you can see that, that's a really good way. Another thing that is really, really helpful is clients on my, I don't know, roster, I guess it's called. Yeah. Um, also give me notes. So I know, hey, was this a good call? Was this a bad call? Why was it a good call? Why was it a bad call? And sometimes I'll even train them a little bit about how to do sales calls better because there are kind of correct ways to do it and not do it. Yeah. But by looking at everything in a granular level, you can make the optimizations. And some of my big campaigns only have just literally one keyword, but that's because it's so profitable and because the volume is there. So they might just, um, if you can just really double down on one keyword and double down on the ads for it, every time your ad has a better click-through rate, which is how many times someone sees it versus how many times someone clicks on it, it lowers your cost per uh, click because it raises what's called your quality score. So a lot of this is what's called uh, the Pareto rule. Do you guys ever talk about that? Do you know? Of what course, that of course. Cool. So yeah, there was based on this. Um, what was he like? An Italian economist who noticed that twenty percent of his yield of his pea plants or something like that came from eighty percent of his yield came from twenty percent of his plants, and he noticed that a lot of that actually happens in the real world. So if you can kind of look at what it is that's profitable and not look at it so holistically and say, all right, well, as a, as a medium, this works, or as a medium, it doesn't, and go down to a very granular level, you can make a lot more profit in that way, which is really what I care about. I mean, that's, that's why I get to live in London is because we really look at the profit rather than just say, get a bazillion link clicks. Yeah, I think, I think that's very, very important to consider. So... I know a, a bit of what you do, or maybe a significant part of what you do, has to do with advertising. If we go to nerdsdoitbetter.com, we see that you speak about your proprietary methodology, and one of the things that you deal with uh, somewhat heavily is actually running advertising. So uh, based on your experience, what tips do you offer for creating high quality clickable ads? I think the biggest thing that anyone can do is match the offer with the audience. So you'll get all these wacky blogs. They're like, oh, put a picture of a cat on your ad or make it really bright. That doesn't really matter all that difference. That's, uh, that's kind of the 80-20 thing. So uh -huh. you can have the wackiest picture in the world but no one's going to click on it if it's not the right offer. So again, this is about thinking about where the person's at in the buying cycle. So if they don't know you, they've never heard of you, and especially if they're on Facebook or what's called the Google Display Network, they're not going to just sign up for a consult. That's just not going to happen. It doesn't matter what your ad is. Right. If they're in the Google Search Network, that's very possible for a consult. Um, and your best bet with the Google Search Network to increase the click-through rate is to get granular and match the headline and what's called the display URL. The display URL is the URL, which is the www. And then after the backslash, you can put whatever you like in AdWords and it doesn't necessarily go to that page. Right. So if I was, uh, say, looking for an awesome podcast 
it would say awesome podcast in the headline. I would try to have it match somewhere in the um, description lines and then display URL. It would say awesome podcast. Now, by doing that, you're going to get a much better click-through rate in the uh, Google search network. But even then, you still want to match the, the intent, the search intent, or where the buyer's at in the cycle. And in the search network, it's much higher intense. You can offer, um, you can offer consults for sure and get them basically all day. But at that point, you do need to make sure that the person's qualified because uh, I've actually been on the other end of it where you like when I started this, you got like a million unqualified consoles and just completely burns you out. So now it's a lot more thinking about like, what, what would it be that would qualify a person for your business? Like you, as fun as it feels to get a whole bunch of leads, it really does burn you out. If you're just sitting there all day talking to them, talking to them, and then you get to the point where they can't pay. Um, right. It's just brutal. So, I mean, for me, a lot of it has to do with have they advertised before? How much is their budget? Uh, for for nerds to do it better, um, but for other people, it's totally different. Uh, the long distance medical transportation company, just for person I was talking about, you know, their qualification is really uh, is the trip over three hundred miles. Otherwise, it's just not really worth it for them. Um, and there's all sorts of other ones like that. For e-commerce, it's a little bit different. I don't have a ton of e-commerce clients. Uh, I find lead gen to just be more more interesting and uh, just a better fit for me, I guess. But you can always look at, one, are people buying? Obviously, it's your first one. But two, how do you make the average order value more? You can do things like upsells. You can do things like cross-sells. But I would say even then, you still want to be thinking about what's your offer. And your offer might be, at the beginning, an ebook or a quiz before you say, hey, we buy this. Because people on Facebook or the display network are pretty much going to need to know, know you before they buy. Right, because uh, the search network it's like what do they call it like an acute an acute problem, whereas uh, Facebook is more of like a chronic one. Yeah, and I do see a lot of advertising, uh, particularly through Facebook advertising. I get targeted with these ads all the time. Of uh, let's say you know sign you know book a free consult. Well who the hell are you? It's my first question. It's like, why should I book a free consult with you? And I'm aware of somebody who actually had given their agency they were working with a direct order to run ads promoting their $900 course. It's like, uh, I, I, I even told the person, you are not going to get a single conversion out of that. You're probably not even going to get very many clicks. And yeah, that and turned out to be the case. Say. They always yeah. say, well, Facebook didn't work for me. But really, anything can work for you if you just look at it yeah. and think it through. So Facebook doesn't work for you or Facebook does work for you. That's not really the issue. The issue is, are you thinking this through and being strategic about it? Because yeah. I've seen Facebook not work for some people. And then I've run campaigns and Facebook's you know, made quite a lot of money for them. So it's not the medium so much as it is the offer strategy and uh, and it's certainly a bit on the execution like you need to have a good experience for the user like even if you have the best offer in the world if your website looks like crap no one's gonna buy it like it's just there's a trust factor there as well yeah and regardless of uh you know, whether facebook advertising works or not and i've shared on other episodes of business creator creators radio and i've actually posted this 
on my Facebook wall is for various reasons that have to do with the really candidly shitty way that uh, employees of Facebook treated me when I was giving them money. I will never put a dime into their advertising platform. That said, I don't tell anybody else not to do it because I believe that there are others who may have great experiences with it. I just personally won't. Uh, I also bring up the point that it's not the only advertising platform out there. So I believe you, correct me if I'm mistaken, Adam, that your firm does work with Facebook advertising and Google AdWords, I believe. If you know, Tell me if I'm correct about that. Are there any other networks you've seen out there that work effectively? And if so, are there any particular niches that may want to consider some of those networks? Yeah, so I mean, you do have to think about the network and the, um, and the, the, the what's the word called? The person, I guess. So you can use LinkedIn. Their cost per click is high. It's like six or seven bucks a click. But if you have a, again, looking at the business metrics, you know, if it costs you whatever, 200 bucks to acquire a client, but that client makes you $3,000, that's pretty reasonable. But are, I guess the question is, are people on LinkedIn, are they there to kind of screw around like they are on Facebook? Some are, some aren't. Yeah. Um, I've definitely used other networks for, uh, you can promote content and something called Taboola is a pretty good network for that. And then you can go cross network, which is pretty cool using um, AdWords, what's called a display network and have those ads follow you around. So I'm sure you've been in that situation where you go to a site and you're like, how does this ad, uh, how do they even know that I'm here? Like it's a totally different site. And that's called remarketing or retargeting. And those clicks are cheaper and it's a bit of a warmer audience. So you can do things like, let's say someone puts a, an item in a shopping cart, like an online shopping cart, and they don't buy, you can retarget them with a half off ad or whatever you want to do. You can make certain custom lists for that. And that works very well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's some pretty helpful guidance. So I want to explore a little bit more about clickability. And first of all, uh, people who have used pictures of cats in their ads, they just simply weren't using pictures of my cats. Because if right. they were using pictures of Princess Alessandra, who's sitting right next to me right now, that ad would have would have would have would have five hundred impressions, four thousand click throughs, and twelve thousand conversions from an audience of three hundred. <laughs> that's pretty pretty <laughs> successful ad. That's right. That's right. That's that's what my that's what my kitty can do for for advertising because she is very good at what she does. She, you, know, you have to understand, Princess Alessandra here is my office supervisor. Okay. No. I, I, you know what? I can't, argue about, I can't argue with that. I'm not in the office. Yeah, Stella, Stella's off playing somewhere. I don't know exactly where she is right now. Uh, and since I have you here, and since I know you have a few interesting takes on things, uh, and you deal with various areas of online marketing, I want to throw out just a couple of the standard questions to see what you have to say about it. <sighs> okay, I get a sense you've been around for at least a minute here. So you've been here for what, the past four or five deaths of email marketing? Yes. Is email, is email still alive or... It is, but it only works sometimes. So it doesn't work if you are going to spam someone. It's right. not like how it used to be where everyone's checking their email all the time. People do check it every day for sure. 
But I think chat's replaced it quite a bit. I'm seeing that deliverability is down across the board. I don't do the email marketing. I just get them the leads. Right. I just know from talking to my clients that deliverability is a bit down across the board. And also, it used to be you had like one email box, right? Now, like even in Gmail, you have that promotions tab, which is essentially, you know, Narnia. Like no one's going to that. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like, are you giving them something that's valuable? Right, right. Hang on one second here. Um, yeah, so that I think is is key because I have seen folks who, um, oh goodness gracious, I see some of the stuff they write in their emails and I know that part of my work with a couple of my consulting clients is clients generate emails and then I have to fix them. Right, and then you also have to think about what, what I've seen the best for emails across the board is to make them look like the real emails. So like, Wacky graphics, that's not great. Uh, you know, talking about Hawaiian T-shirt Friday, that's not great. Right. Focusing on the user, that's great. And if you're providing this thing of value, even like information is valuable if it's good information. Like that's the difference between an ad and anything really. It's like, is it is it valuable to them? So before you send it out, be like, would I read this? Like, um, I mean, I know just like I don't get a cut of his thing or anything, but uh, there's a guy, Cody Butler, who does really good emails. Okay. I'm trying to think of who else I've seen who's done really. Someone named Sarah Noked does really good emails. Uh, they're both really good at that because they're really valuable emails. And like, I'm happy to point them out because I always read both of their emails. Yeah. And speaking of, um, you know, emails that look like real emails, a big item that, I deal with when I create emails that I send to my list or if I'm, if I'm patching up something that I'm editing or vice versa is digital literacy. You being a guy who deals with statistics and numbers, I think you have awareness of the percentage of people that use their mobile device as their computer, in some cases a majority of the time for certain activities. And if you're going to send an email that has long paragraphs and long sentences and fails to use the Oxford comma and all other kinds of things, just like on a desktop where people just set it aside uh, so they can read it, so they can read it later, never, uh, they're not even going to read it because on their smartphone, they have a screen. It's about, I think, uh, two inches wide by, I'm just guesstimating five inches tall. I think that's how big my Google Pixel 3 XL is. And if they can't read that with, uh, with if they can't read that without putting energy into their eyes, then they're just going to disregard it. So when I send something out, just this is my just my own thing is typically make every sentence its own paragraph because that is how people are going to be able to consume it in small pieces on a small screen. Assume the small screen and go from there. Exactly, I totally agree with that. Yeah, uh, and other tactics you can use are, whenever you have lists of something and the list itself is very important, put it in bullet points. Now you don't wanna put every single one of your lists in bullet points because then you're gonna have ads and you're gonna have emails. They're nothing but lists of bullet points. But when you're really trying to draw attention to a list of things that's very important, use an ordered or an, un or an unordered list. So either numbered or bullet pointed to draw that out. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Also, I found that uh, ads, 
like emails, like books, are judged by their cover. So in the cases of ads, headlines. In the cases of emails, subject lines. Yep, and you got to keep the readability there too and make sure that the font is a big enough size. Yeah, there is that because if you're using like 10 point Times New Roman, first of all, if you're using Times New Roman, and I was saying this 20 years ago, come on. Uh, hmm. It looks like, it looks like uh, I mean, even, even Microsoft Word doesn't default to Times New Roman anymore. It, it, de it defaults to Calibri, and that's for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, so not only does Times New Roman look like you're using the default, it also looks like you're using default software that's been, that's been uh, end of life for about 15 years now. Because I remember when Calibri first became a thing, and that was very early in my entrepreneurial journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, email, it's like anything else. Like, if you can make it work for you, then it's worth doing. I, I still think for events, it's probably the best thing to use. Um, yeah. Certainly for driving people. For a list you already have, which is really valuable, like maybe the most valuable thing you can have in a business, emails are great to have. But you can also use the list for things like an upload into Facebook and target on it. Right. But from what I've seen, um, and I, I do it myself, we get sponsored by Google. We get this Google breakfast thing. Um, the first thing I always do is build a list around it because you can then uh, target them via ads. You can target them via emails. And targeting sounds bad, but it's more like, help them out like find find um find what they need talk to them and you know make it happen at the breakfast oh you mean you host breakfast events where you discuss google is that what it is you know make sure i understand that correctly uh google gives me money to host events i mean in all transparency because okay. we're a big advertiser yeah so the idea is that we host it and yeah we talk about google i mean i wouldn't recommend it for someone if it didn't make sense for them but I also advertise it on Google, which does come out of my own pocket as well as right. Facebook. And what yeah, I do yeah, does first, yeah, does Facebook do the same thing? Do they sponsor um, like for some of their heavy advertisers uh, or agencies that deliver a lot of business to them? Do they give them money to sponsor things like breakfast and things like that as well? I mean, everyone gives you something. I have a whole supply of like uh, graphic t-shirts that my, life, my wife doesn't like when I wear. But I, <laughs> you know, I kind of wear them to work out. But yeah, I mean, everyone's going to give you something, but it's about keeping your integrity and only recommending things that are actually worth recommending. Now, right. it happens that I obviously like, because we use these platforms so much is why we get these fantastic graphic t-shirts. But the, the, what I was getting at is like, it's the same thing I've been saying. So when I want someone to come to a Google breakfast and I'm advertising, my first ad isn't, hey, come take time out of your day. You don't know me and come to breakfast. It's, hey, here's, here's, um, are you interested in this? I think was the last one I did where I just had someone sign up for like, I'm an interested list. Or maybe if I gave them an ebook first, I can't remember what I did last time. Yeah. But something along those lines. And then the next step was, do you want to sign up for a Google breakfast? And that's what I'm talking about is making sure that you sequentially step things because I know people who have held these Google breakfasts and like, well, no one came. It doesn't work. Not really the answer. The answer is yeah. you're not doing it right. And that's the real problem. Yeah. Um, and when something doesn't work out where not many people show up for your Google breakfast or you don't get a big return on your ad campaign or whatever, that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. That means, in my view, congratulations, you've discovered something that perhaps doesn't work and you're now going to become more effective if you study this and you apply the lessons and you continue to optimize. 
Yeah, and your best lesson is almost always going to be that you mismatch the offer with the with the audience. Right. I mean, when I take over campaigns, from a non-technical standpoint, that's almost always the issue. It's never like they didn't have the right wacky picture. It's almost always that they didn't have the right offer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, pictures can be helpful. Uh, just like another thing that I give as a best practice when posting a blog post to your website, always install a featured image and always run it through the Facebook debugger or whatever they're calling it these days, because I believe they've just renamed it in the process of doing so, and the Twitter card validator and the equivalent for LinkedIn, because you want your display to look good. That being said, uh, focus on how big your image needs to be. It should be a nice, in most cases, horizontal image, at least 600 pixels wide, uh, I found is to be a good guideline. And try and find an image that's as relevant as possible to your content, uh, or come up with some standard graphic that has your company branding on it and change the words on it for each post or something like that. But don't excessively overthink it because there's only so much you can do with it. Because if, if, if your content doesn't match your audience, it's not going to perform regardless of what picture you put there. Um, however, putting a picture on can help at least draw people's attention enough so they can check out the headline so they can decide whether or not they're going to read it. That's been my uh, experience with it, using tracking data myself. What have you seen? I mean, so when it comes to blogs, I hardly even do it for myself. I mainly do guest blogs. Uh, like, I think you talked the top, like, search engine journal and those kind of things. Yeah. So they all have their own guidelines that I have to right. follow, which is fine with me. I focus much more on providing value. What I want is from everyone, every blog post I read that somebody might read, I want them to at least come away with one actionable insight. Right. I think that's, I think that's very important as well. Um, I do curation work myself. And when I'm looking for content, uh, basically, I look for, like if I'm curating somebody else's content, I scan the article, not read it word for word, scan it. And I do that, I, and, I, and I say this for a reason. Because by scanning, I should be able to find within the content, the structure, the digital literacy, and the format of that post or that piece of content, something actionable that I can use. If I can't find that off a rapid casual scan and at least have enough ocular attention to that that my, that my eyes say, pause, stop scrolling, read that, that could be valuable, then I find it highly unlikely that piece of content is going to be valuable so it won't get curated. Yeah, the same way. Like it's, and you'll find that people do scan the, um, your pages when they do the eye test uh, and actually look at it. There's something called the five-second test where someone should be able to look at your page have it taken off the screen and know exactly what's going on within five seconds. And a lot of that comes down to clarity and like a good clarity in your headline. That is key. Um, you know, if you, if you're trying to get too fancy or too funky or too funny, don't go clear before anything else. It's so important. Yeah. Back. Uh, yeah. Back when, and this was before the age of, mobile responsive where we were still mostly focused on how thing looks on our on our monitors on our desktops and our laptops 
And I used to do a lot more website conversion consulting back when website conversion co consulting was actually considered cutting edge versus something you should just do. Right. Uh, we would we would guide our clients to do what I used to call the five paces back test. And the way that would work is you uh, you walk up to your machine uh, as close as you can. So wherever your laptop is sitting or wherever your monitor, whatever desk or table that's on, get as close to that as you comfortably can. Then close your eyes and walk backwards five paces. Of course, check behind you to make sure you're not going to trip over anything first. But you walk backwards five paces with your eyes closed. Then open your eyes, but don't make a conscious effort to focus them. Let the focus bring itself in naturally. You know how sometimes you blink to accelerate the focus? Don't do that. And just let the focus gradually come in naturally. And as it's coming in naturally, pay attention to the first shapes that you see on your monitor. And then as the vision becomes clear and you can see words, how well you see those words and what are the first words you see? Not, not well, what does the headline say? It's what are the first words you see? What is the first thing you see? Or is your attention actually more drawn to a picture or to an opt-in box or to a button? And the reason I have people do that is because it's one of the closest things we found you were able to do to mimic subconscious observation on command. That's where you a really can actually good get, idea. Where you, you can actually get a conscious view of what the mind is casually picking up as you go through the day. You know how they say we're bombarded with, and I th I've seen studies that say that we receive as many as 60,000 advertising messages per day. Well, we're not stopping to read all those, and we're not even conscious of most of them, but the effective ones are designed in such a way that at that level of perception, we're picking up on those. And that's part of why there, I've seen reports that a lot more people were reporting a lot more deja vu than they used to. Yeah, I mean, that, and that makes a lot of sense. And you're going to have those ads following you around, so that makes sense that you can have the deja vu. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So, uh, you know, so as we wrap up here, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, I just wanted to uh, get one other piece of insight from you. Uh, you know, you mentioned that with your Nerds Do It Better methodology that you remove – inefficiencies. And in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. We spend a lot of time on minimalism to achieve maximum results. So in your mind, just because I want to give our listeners, if they haven't already found something actionable, something to consider, what are some things that you've seen people do, whether it's in marketing in general, in business, in advertising, whatever it is, that you've discovered to be inefficiencies? And I'd like to highlight a few of these if they exist, just so that people can take a look at what they're doing in their daily life and ask that important question, do we have to do this at all? The biggest thing I found is lack of clarity. So I run everything through Google Sheets and use the Google query language in that. So yep. everything is essentially in its own little cell. So I don't have people coming to me and saying, hey, what's going on here? Do we need to do this? No, it's either you need to do this or you don't need to do this. It's very clear. And there's a great book called The E-Myth by this guy. I think his name is like Michael Gerber. Or Michael yeah, Michael Gerber. Gerber. Yeah, Michael Gerber. Yeah, he talks a lot about uh, processes. And we try to be very process-oriented uh, because you can optimize a process. You can say, oh, yeah. well, we tried it this way. We don't, what if we tried it this way? And also when you have a process – you're not just coming up with new stuff every time. You're saying, all right, well, this worked this one time. It should theoretically work another time. And you can really 
be very clear about that and very precise with that. And um, one thing that I found just from a general standpoint is to use videos rather than trying to make very wordy emails, screen capture videos. I like Loom. Like I said, I don't get a cut of it or anything, but I think that they're a really nice video service. And um, that's really helped me also take it down. Another huge thing that I found to be inefficient are meetings. I have them sometimes, but generally things can be done on email. So standing meetings, I, I think I have one a month with a really yeah. good client. And even then, you know, a lot of it's, they just want to say hi, which is fine. I mean, yeah, what I get paid for, but I think that they're very inefficient in general. Well, I think that, I think that most meetings are pretty inefficient actually. And uh, that's another topic of my book with some specific practices on how to make meetings more effective. Uh, for example, we have a simple process, and I designed this 15 years ago, and I've actually seen it be cross-applied to things other than meetings. If it's like your weekly team meeting or your monthly board meeting, so you know, as you referred to, that regular meeting where sometimes these people come to say hi or whatever it is, like, uh, or you have the work group come together, what have you. Here's what I have implemented in many different cases, is within 48 hours, in other words, no later than 48 hours before the meeting begins, uh, you everybody who has a contributing or participating role in a meeting, notice I said contributing or participating, because not everybody actually has to speak, that's something else that people forget, um, has to submit a simple report that has three things on it. What we're working on now, where we have questions or need support from other members of the of the you know, other people in the meeting and what ideas we have for moving the organization or the group forward. And it doesn't have to be a term paper. It can be a simple email with bullet points and they can be sentence fragments. But those three things need to be covered. And the expectation is that everybody else who has a speaking or participating role in the meeting have read everybody else's and be ready to go with suggestions and even comment on each other's reports so that some of that gets done outside the meeting space itself. Because in the meeting, we want to spend as much time as possible on anything we need to do to create synergies or collaborations while we have all the people in the room and as much as possible, spend the majority of the time on what moves the organization forward. I have no patience for listening to people talk. Uh, in fact, uh, in fact, there's this one meeting that I'm in charge of on a regular basis, and there was somebody in the work group who uh, just really didn't want to play by those roles, and um, and so uh, I had to make the point very clear to her. Uh, she, uh, you know, I, I went around and I was, uh, you know, I was uh, going through some of the items that came up. Uh, from people's reports, so I'd say, uh, so I'd say he's like, so, uh, so Mr. Lundquist, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, in your report that you need volunteers to uh, for greeters for your Google Breakfast. I'm just making this up, and you're having a hard time getting people to actually show up that early in the morning. So you're asking us. Uh, what are some innovative ways we can get some more support for your breakfast? Now, that's a valid discussion item. Now, somewhere along the line, somebody piped up and said, uh, ooh, uh, uh, I, uh, I have an oral report to give you. And I said, no, you don't have an oral report. Just like that. I and I said, if we have time at the end, I may let you ask questions. And conveniently, <laughs> the meeting ended right before we got to her. 
and hope. Boy, she was unhappy about that. And I said, well, um, because you didn't submit the three-point report, I assumed that everything was just hunky and dory with you and you didn't even really need us. In fact, I was kind of surprised you showed up because it seems like you have it all handled on your own. Well, uh, who, who, do you, who, who do you think submitted their reports first from that point forward? I imagine them. Exactly, exactly. So to me, uh, there are ways of dealing with inefficiencies and a key way to do it is you look at what you're doing in your meetings. This is one of those topics I love is, you know, you take some stuff that normally is just inserted in the meeting for to give people a chance to hear their own voice and you move it outside the meeting as much as possible. Another thing is to break down who the participants in the meeting are. You have your leaders and facilitators. You have your, um, you have your, I know I'm going to screw this up slightly because I don't have it written down. It's still pretty early in the morning. You have your leaders and facilitators. You have your contributors. You have your observers. And you have your seconds. So leaders and facilitators command the agenda. Participants are people who have speaking roles. Observers are people who don't have speaking roles. And in fact, usually their attendance is optional. And seconds are... So, Adam, let's say that you represented the, um, the online advertising department in, in, a, in a corporate environment. So, Adam, you would bring um, your assistant. We'll call her Sally. And Sally's role would be, would be to sit beside you to confirm data when you ask for it or to back you up as need be, to be there to debrief with you separately after the meeting, and if for any reason Adam Lundquist couldn't make it to the meeting, Sally shows up as the representative of the online advertising department, and everybody's familiar with her because she comes with Adam, and they recognize that she has the authority to speak for online advertising in Adam's absence. That's a second. So when you break that down and you realize that you don't have to go through and get everybody to give their two cents worth, you remove a major inefficiency. I totally agree. Yeah. So... Uh, Adam, you have something for our listeners here. We're at the top of the hour. We have about two minutes left here. And I want to give you one of those minutes because you, uh, you have a little gift for us, I believe. Yep, that's right. Uh, you can come on nerdsdoitbetter.com and I will chat with you and answer any of your questions you have. I've decided that uh, as of, I'd say this, this week, I'm going to stop eBooks for the week and I'm just going to answer any questions you have. And it'll be me. And I'm going to help you with whatever you need. And, you know, I've already had a whole bunch of chats with people. It's been really interesting seeing what it is that people ask. Like, I just, that's why I was bringing up this picture of a cat, actually. Yeah. You know, uh, come on, chat with me. I think that's the way that people actually want to do this and do business in general is in a real non-skeezy sales way. Because that's the yeah. way I like to do it, too. Like, just come talk to me and I'm happy to talk to you about any of your advertising programs and we could even um, scan your account with our software and actually show you where some of your efficiencies are. We'll do it for free. And really it's not like a high pressure sales thing at all because that's just not how I do things. Awesome. Very good. So uh, again, you just go to nerdsdoitbetter.com and that's where you'll find it. So Adam Lundquist of Nerds Do It Better, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and an education. Well, thanks for having me. 
All right, so I trust that you've enjoyed today's episode of Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.